Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. You guys, thank you so much. This is week two of our virtual wine tasting. So I'm really happy to see so many faces again. This week, we're doing the El Potrillo, right? The Pinot Noir by Ondrama Cellars. And we are fortunate enough to have Juan and Miriam, the owners of Ondrama Cellars, on with us. So we're going to do something very similar as last week and have them talk about First, start talking about the wine. And as you're talking about the wine, so we could taste it, then we'll go into the history of Andrama Cellars. But why don't you go ahead and start with talking about the Pinot Noir, what we should be smelling, tasting, how you came up with this particular varietal, and all of that. Well, this is a 100% Pinot Noir made up. It's, it's called Nono's Pinot or Nono's Blend. It's a 100% 2017. It's 100% Pinot Noir, but it has three different appellations. So we we harvested grapes from Napa Valley, Carneros region, and Sonoma Valley, Carneros region, and a little bit of Susun Valley. So we have three different appellations combined into one. Um, there are three great Pinot growing regions. This is our first vintage making a Pinot Noir. We're mainly known for our Cabernets, but we're fans of Pinot, and we decided to if we were going to do a Pinot, we would try to do the best Pinot that we could. So we sourced fruit from three different appellations. The wines aged 12 months and French oak barrels. It's very smooth, very fruit forward, easy to drink, very well balanced. Pinot Noirs tend to be stinky, um, a lot spicy. of uh, spicy, a lot of funk going in. Uh, this Pinot is very... Very easy, very fruit forward, um, very well balanced, earthy. You might pick up a little bit of a raspberry and it has a great color. You guys pick up any of that? What are you guys smelling? Can you smell anything when you're smelling the Pinot? Nice vanilla finish. I can smell the oak. Yes. Once you drink uh, on the palate, you'll feel, you'll feel the uh, oak, which gives you a little bit of hints of vanilla on, on the finish. And you could pick up any kind of smells. Like there's people that for the Pinot Noirs, they'll pick up some very strange, they'll describe it with a lot of different adjectives as to what they're picking up in the on the nose. For us, yeah. we're picking up fruit and we taste enough of it to where we say, oh, fruit and uh, well-balanced, vanilla, elegant. Raspberry. So, I have a question. So when people are talking about it's a full-bodied wine or a medium-bodied wine, what kind of does that mean and what would this be? 
this would be a very full, it gets fun when it comes into the into your palate. All the way through, you get a really nice taste in your mouth. And as you drink it, you still have that really long finish. I mean, I can still taste the wine in my mouth. And so if it was a medium or light-bodied wine, those flavors go away from your palate quicker? In the mid-palate, you'll get it and then it'll be gone. Or maybe some bitterness. This is very smooth at the finish. We use some really nice wood for this uh, project. So really happy with, with the way it turned out. And it very well with with anything. I mean, with that pasta that you made, or or with tacos, or pizza. Yeah, we love it with tacos al pastor. Yeah. <laughs> or mole. So, how long should you age a pinot? Like, what's the average to age a pinot noir? Traditionally, Napa wines, West World wines, ten years. I would say would be the max on this wine. That's a good rule of thumb. You know, ten, no more than fifteen years on on any California wines. Because California wines, on average, is five to seven years across the board mm. to age them. Is it different between the varietals of wine? Like Pinot, it's a, you should ideally age for this one versus Chardonnay, you should ideally age for a certain different amount? Yeah, on your wines, you don't want to go more than past five years. And on the, on the big caps, I mean, 10 years max, Pinot would be probably seven years later, i so if you were to age this, because I know you said this was aged for a year, if you were to age it longer, do different flavors develop? Is that what happens the longer you age it? Or what happens during that aging process? The wines tends to ages and it tastes better, but then it will reach the point where it'll start going back down and lose that body and lose the flavors. And it's kind of where you need to be tasting it all the time. And that changes from varietal to varietal, vintage to vintage, appellation to appellation. And producer to producer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's, I would love for them because everybody was really loving last week and continue to drink your wine was the story of Herencia. So we want to hear the story of Andrama wines. How did you guys, first of all, what was your backgrounds individually and how did you guys come together to create Andrama's wines, Andrama Cellars? I'm going to let my wife answer that. <laughs> She's really about the story because our story is really... It's from the heart. We developed, nobody helped us with the story. We didn't have to have any kind of guidance into how to tell our story. Our heart, our story is pretty much told by the heart, from our heart. My parents and I are immigrants or expats from Guanajuato, Mexico. We moved to Bakersfield, of all places, in the early 1980s, and my parents would travel north to south of the state farming the crops that were in season. However, Napa Valley happens to be a big blessing for us, and and so here we are still in the Napa Valley after my parents went to work during harvest time, which is August through October, for an amazing vintner in Rutherford, California. My parents would get a whole crew together and come up and work out for the harvest season. My dad was saying bye to his boss and really appreciated his job and asking him that hopefully he would consider him for the next year again. So my dad was in the position to come back if he had a job with him. At that point, his boss says, where are you going to go work now? And my dad says, well, I'm gonna go look for the next crop. And he said, well, if you don't have a full-time job, I have a full-time job for you here in the vineyard. And so that was the first taste that my family got toward the American dream. What is the American dream to us is stability, to have a stable job, 
consistent wages, health benefits, and vacation. So it was really a turning point in our lives when my dad was offered this job. And so we moved to the Napa Valley. My dad worked for this family out in the vineyards close to three years. Later, his boss asks him again, you know, Norio, you work really hard. You have great work ethic. You're always on time. If only you learn to speak English, then I could give you a job working in the production room in the winemaking department with us. So he promised my dad that if he learned to speak English, he would give him a dollar raise and he would invite him to work in the production room. So my dad would come home, uh, have his dinner and go right back out to his truck, to his office and learn with Inglés in Barreras, kind of like the Rosetta Stone. So my dad has a success story because he did. He self-taught himself to speak English with this program. <laughs> wow. And he himself his race and um, made wine for about 16 years with this amazing family. And that's how Andrama was born. My dad escalating from working out in the vineyards, teaching himself to speak English, getting himself that promotion and going to work in the production room. That's where everything started. Life was happening. Meanwhile, I was growing up, my little brother and sister, and I was going to go off to college and study child psychology. And my dad persuaded me to study business classes. He said, just take some business classes so you have an, a general idea of how businesses run and you could sell wine in our tasting room and I'll make the wine because I've been talking to my, my boss and he's going to show me all the ends as to how to create my label, everything that goes into the finished product of the winemaking process. So that was the seed to Onrama. That was just the seed. I changed my major and um, a year into my college education, my dad passed away suddenly. That was my only inheritance. I was daddy's girl. He meant the world to me. And it was just a conversation of A and B that he wanted to make his own wine. We didn't even have a name for it or anything. But he passed away. And it was a dormant idea. Well, I went off. Life continued to happen. And I helped my mom raise my brother and my sister. And I finished school. And then I meet Juan and I kind of persuade him that we couldn't date because I had all this luggage and all this. And I had a broken heart of everything. And he, he promised to one day help me make um, my dad's dream come true. And uh, divine intervention, angels from heaven, the stars really lined up for us. And uh, 2008, Onrama was born. And Onrama stands for Honorio Ramirez Mata. So that's pretty much a little bit of our story. Well, we met, we didn't, I, I wasn't in the wine industry. I, I worked for the phone company. I don't know if you remember Pac Bell, Pacific Bell. Yeah. So I was, I was 19 and the best job for me, the best job uh, making good money and nothing to do with wine. I meet her and start, you know, dating her and going to visit Napa. She grew up in St. Helena, so we go to St. Helena. Kind of started getting like uh, the wine bug, liking wines and learning to drink wine. Three years, four years later, I, I lose my job and we were already married and Miriam made a resume to get a job at a winery. Started so I to start from the bottom. From the, bottom, from the rock bottom as a cellar rat. So, I mean, shoving out tanks, sanitizing tanks, barrels, you name it, anything to do in the winery. Six months after that job, I was running that facility, working with different winemakers, then I ventured off to another uh, winery where we grew from 2,000 gallons of wine a year to 4 million gallons of wine a year. Wow. 
in that era in 2008 when the recession and you know everything that was going on at the time we were able to secure some grapes from Rutherford from the area where Miriam's father worked and I said this is the time where I could fulfill Miriam's father's dream and the promise that I made to her and in 2010 we released our 2008 Rama Sellers Cabernet 500 cases we still continued with, along with their jobs and we would promote the wine on the weekends and after work hours and hustling. 2016, we decided to venture off on our own 100% and focus on our product. And now we have a little vineyard in Napa Valley. We have a ranch where you guys are all welcome to come and visit our ranch. We have some horses. We have an old adobe house there and uh, we have our tasting room. We have an amazing tasting room in Sonoma. In Carneros, and where we make our wine. But we also have the property in Napa. A little bit of my background, I, I was born here in Woodland, California. My parents were migrated here from Guadalajara, Jalisco. My parents also worked in the fields. I mean, I, we grew up in a little trailer. Very humble beginnings. Hungry, all the time hungry. So that's, I mean... Really, and when Juan says hungry, is uh, referring to we wanted success, we wanted the American dream, we wanted that opportunity, we wanted that college education and that success in the business world. And on all of our wines, you'll see horses. And El Potrillo, it's named El Potrillo after my son Juanito. So that's El Potrillo, which means a, a, a colt, a baby colt. And Juanito, and it's Nono's Pino because. His middle name is Honorio, like his grandfather. And but his siblings couldn't pronounce Honorio, so they would say, hey, no, 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 no. So then it's kind of his nickname. So that's why it's named Nono in honor of my, my eldest son, Juan. When you're a small producer and, you know, coming from where we come from, we want to share everything with our family. So it's literally leaving something behind when it has his name on it, you know. Our Rosé has our daughter's name, Paula, our reserve Cabernet, is on the selection. So all three of our kids, the wines are, are named after our kids. That's so crazy. When you guys first started, right? You said in 2010, when you came out with your first wine, what wine did you first come out? And then where were you, like, how were you getting your grapes? Were you buying your grapes? Were people like, I know last week people were talking about when grapes are left over, sometimes they're donated. How were you guys getting your grapes or what type to, and what type of wine was your first production? It was, it was a Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet from Rutherford was our first wine, and we were able to secure those grapes because of what the country was going with the recession. We sourced our fruit from different appellations within Napa Valley. We sourced all of our fruit. So either through friends, hey, I'm looking for a good Pinot Noir uh, vineyard, I'm looking for a cab, and, and we buy from known sources. Um, you guys can start asking questions. I will continue to ask questions. And I know last week you guys had a ton of questions. So please feel free to start asking. I see fingers typing already. Oh, uh, <laughs> going back to the horse thing, my son and I, Andres, my little son, we both ride a professional Mexican rodeo. In 2018, I was national champion for the U.S. And my son was world champion. As a nine-year-old, he went to Mexico to compete in Querétaro and he won the whole thing. He was the first American to go and be the Mexicans at their own sport. Which, wow. You know, Everything's related with the horses. On the property, we have about 10 horses. So if you guys ever come out, you guys can see the horses. We have a, 
an official arena, Alianza uh, Charro. That's awesome. So Matt and Heather were asking, how much wine do you now produce currently? And what are all of the varietals you produce? So we are at 1,200 cases overall production, and they vary between 1,200 to 1,500 cases annually. So we're producing a rosé of Cabernet, our Pinot Noir, two Cabernets, and a dessert wine. And now we have a venture, a friend and I, of course, have a venture of um, Las Amigas. But under Unrama label is um, the Cabernet, the Pinot Noir, the Rosé, and a dessert wine of Chardonnay. We also make a Sauvignon Blanc. Right now it's sold out, but we will be having it early next year. So this is their dessert wine. It's called La Chica. When you say a dessert wine, how sweet is it? It's sweet, but it's not syrup. <laughs> That's good to know because so many dessert wines are like, really really sweet love this dessert wine it's okay. nice like gold color and really nice honey taste to it but and it's, it's a little look how so cute the bottle is you could tell you did it for a dessert wine because people probably don't drink a ton of dessert wine so you could share it amongst people and not feel like you're wasting anything so this is the first champagne or sparkling wine created by latinas called las amigas what is the toughest wine to produce? Is a Pinot Noir. Really? Why is that? Because it's a it's a very dirty grape. When uh, you're fermenting, the grape just it, ha it has all kinds of organisms. I come from a wine filtration background, and we would go and filter wines for a variety of wineries. And every time I got to to filter the Pinot Noir, it was it was so hard, so difficult. It's a very dirty wine. That's why you get, you get a lot of funk, you get a lot of stink, not in a bad way. It's just, you know, your wine kind of show, you, like, you like it. That's what you like. But uh, it's very different. When you taste a Pinot Noir, you can be doing a blind tasting, you know, it's a Pinot Noir. It's very distinctive. Yeah, I think that's why I like, because I like things that are kind of spicy and stuff, and they tend to have that. Like you said earlier, like that peppery type yes. of flavor and everything you smell. Normally, that's the first thing you smell. At least I think so. As you smell, it smells very different than than other wines. Yes. So what are you guys looking forward to? Like, are you working on any other wines? We have a lot of projects that we, we plan on, on accomplishing. We have a... Uh, with, think, with the With the Nodrama, yeah. We were thinking of a, of a wine for next year with a slightly different name, but we don't know where that path's going to take us yet. <laughs> Might be a little surprise. It's going to be pretty cool. How has everything, like with COVID and then the fires, how has everything affected your tasting rooms and for people to come out? How has that affected everything? COVID really has changed everybody's lives when this whole pandemic started. You know, we really rely on selling all of our wine retail. You don't find our wines in every store. We sell all of our wine retail. We direct, to direct to consumer. So we really rely on people like yourself to buy the wine. So, and we're out of the tasting room. So when COVID-19 hit, the government shuts down your business for two months. You know, we're so small that it really hurt us. I mean, we were really having a hard time making ends meet. You know, this dream was made with no investors, with no capital, but just based on hard work and dedication, but we're never prepared for something like this. We were, we're a small mom and pop 
business. So it, it was really scary. Luckily, like Miriam says, the earth angels came in with an army. And, yes. uh, we are so blessed, you know, as we, you know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, she got an email from, from a really good well wine, uh, wine the, within the wine industry, a wine writer, but also a writer for the um, San Francisco Chronicle. And she wanted to do an interview. She was doing a, a you know, uh, an interview about how small businesses were surviving. And particularly, she was looking for a small Latino winery. She told us she was interviewing a lot of people. So we didn't really think nothing of it. We did it, hoping to get some sort of spotlight, whatever, you know, on, on an article. Well, little did we know it was, we were on the front page of the San Francisco Chronicle. It was a nice, very well written article. You guys could find it. It was May 11th. I remember the date exactly. It was on a Monday when it was released. All of a sudden, it was game on on us. Like, we were back in the game. We've gotten a lot of support from people. A lot of people are visiting us from the East Coast, LA, and a lot, and a huge following from the Latino community. Which, which we had not seen in our tasting room. We, we will not see hardly ever any Latinos really supporting us. And now it's 90% of ourselves are all Latinos. Which I mean, if you look here, this is 90% of the people that are here. And then we then we have my, my brother-in-law does he, and Heather and Matt. I'm, I'm Mexican by marriage, okay? I'm part of your, I'm married in. Just sorry to interject, but why do you think that is, that you guys weren't getting a lot of Latinos? Because um, in the Napa Valley, A, we're a very small, we're a micro winery. The location where our tasting room is, is fairly new. But I think mainly because we are a micro winery. That's what was not bringing us in enough Latino foot traffic. Because people, a lot of people there haven't heard of Onrama Cellars. So because now that we hear them, they say, oh, yeah, we've been to Robledo Winery. We've been to Maldonado. But I have not heard about you guys. And after the San Francisco Chronicle, then uh, KTVU News also did a little feature. And um, people were watching and they're like, we want to come visit you. And it's been a blessing. It's just been earth angels. Our tasting room has been packed every weekend. We've been so blessed. So we are, I'm so sorry. I feel sometimes when I share this, I feel a little bit like, oh my goodness, a little guilty. I'm really proud. I feel very fortunate and I know I'm blessed, but um, I know there is not the same story for a lot of other small wineries or small businesses to that degree. A lot of businesses have had to shut down and have lost what they invested in. And uh, we've been blessed. We're a story that says, nope, we've been there. We show, we get up, suit up and show up. And we've done our share of um, meeting people and making things happen to where our tasting room is staying busy. Well, first of all, you should not feel guilty because this whole thing is new to all of us, right? Like it's like this whole COVID thing. I don't know. I don't want to say it's new to us, but it was like, it was navigating something that none of us had ever navigated before. And the fact that this happened and and you guys had an opportunity to be featured really is a blessing. Like I feel very blessed that I've gotten to meet you guys. And the reason I found everybody is because I literally looked for Mexican American vintners and Mexican American winemakers and Mava came up. And that's like, I was like, oh my gosh, I honestly, as much as I love wine, had no idea how many Mexican-American winemakers there were out there. And there's a lot that aren't even part of Mava, 
there's even more beyond that because I featured two on the podcast. Today, the episode that dropped, we had 808 Beats Wine. So you guys, I know you guys know the, the creator of that one. So, and I've had from Lodi, we've had um, Se Soles Wine featured. So there are definitely Latino winemakers that are up and coming that have been established and that are up and coming. So it's almost like if you don't search it out, they're very hard to find if you're not really seeking them out. And then Matt and Heather ask, what role do each of you play in the day-to-day for Ondrama as far as sourcing, tasting, selling, all of that? It's a two-man team here. I make the wine, she sells it. That's pretty much the way this team works. I source the fruit. I'm in charge of all the operation of the winemaking, 100%. And uh, Miriam's in charge of her tasting room, doing some wine sales outside of the tasting room. And telling out. our story. She, she's in charge of also uh, ordering the wine labels, the, the glass, the corks, capsules, all that. Paying she has, all the bills. Paying all the bills. I just have to get up, feed the kids, make sure they log into school, be a teacher, process all the wine orders, go to the tasting room, make sure the tasting room's stocked, clean the tasting room, answer to Juan, whatever he needs help with, and then do a little podcast on the side and try to promote our wine and sell as much as possible. That's just about it. That's all. That's all. I mean, you know, I'm sure none of the moms can relate. <laughs> Since COVID, we do have one employee that is amazing. He's a good friend. And he kind of wiggled himself into the tasting room when we opened. He's like, oh, we're going to help. I'm going to help you. I know all this. I've got it. Let's do it. And so slowly, but now he's a key role player to where he fills in the blanks when we're busier. Becoming a full-time job to where it was used to always just be a two-man team. Um, We're dropping things through the cracks. So we're very lucky to have our new employee friend. I'm more involved in the tasting room unlike before because of COVID. I have no rodeos to go to on the weekends. So Miriam, <laughs> one, so, so Miriam abuses of my labor on the weekends. <laughs> so you were talking about the corks. I, I never thought of this. Literally, this question just popped into my mind. How important is it to select the, a cork? And do you have to select like the right cork? Or how important is that? It plays a very key role on your wine. So the cork that, that we use is a very high quality cork it's not the most expensive because there's corks that are really really expensive but it is a 100 percent cork there's a lot of corks that are the top is cork and the bottom is cork and the middle is plastic they're more inexpensive but we want to give you as a consumer the best product that we can possible and because we're a small boutique winery i guess we could do that because we don't have to buy that many right because <laughs> we're so small but it plays a key role also in the aging, as you were saying. If you don't have the right cork, that wine's not going to live those five years, those seven years, you know? Yeah, synthetic is the word we were looking for. Yeah, synthetic. synthetic. synthetic <laughs> Thank <word>. you. <laughs> so when you get a bottle of wine, when it says, for example, yours is a 2017 vintage, does that mean you within seven years that should be drunk? The vintage is the year that the grapes were harvested. For example, the grapes that there won't be enough grapes Napa Valley 2020 because a lot of them with the fires, but that's the year that the grape was uh, picked from the vine. That's the vintage. 
So how long should a, since we're drinking specifically Pinot Noir, if you buy a Pinot Noir, within how long should you open that bottle? You know, five to seven years is yeah. So Pinot, a Pinot, especially if it's a California wine, you're gonna buy it. I recommend you drink it. The wines are tasting good. It's ready to be it's drank. Been aged in the barrel. It's already been aged, aged in the barrel. A Pinot is not like a Cabernet. If it was a Cabernet, I'd be telling you. Other, I would say, you know, hold on to it if it's a big cab. You know, but um, on a Pinot, no more than seven years. And Matt and Heather asking, do you have a wine club or wine subscription? We have a wine yes, club. We do. Please <laughs> visit us at www.onramacellars.com. And um, we would love send your Miriam, support. Send uh, Miriam an email. Um, you're more than welcome to come, come out and visit us at the ranch, at the taste room. We have a very big problem at the taste room right now. Oh, yes. Everybody who goes to this tasting room. So we have this big patio. A lot of tables. I think we could sit probably 70 people at one time. That we never used until yeah. COVID Until hit. COVID. We, and then, we were we required to do our tastings outdoors. If you did not have outdoors in any tasting room, it would be really, really hard for you to, to keep up and take care of your visitors. So luckily we have this big tasting room with the big patio. But we have a big problem. Everybody who goes and visits us, they don't want to leave. <laughs> They stay there for hours. And they <laughs> the same thing up. happens at the ranch. You know what it is? Wait, it's that's we- not hard to believe because when we went out to dinner, we shut the restaurant down. <laughs> yes. We have, that, we have that problem. Every time we go to a restaurant, we shut it down. <laughs> we could get there at 5 p.m. or we get there at 8 p.m. It's still we're the last ones to leave. I think it has to do with our Latino background. We have that culture. You give the best of who you are. Every single person that walks through your tasting room and is dedicating to us a little bit of their time, their vacation time, their valuable time to us, we want to make sure that you leave with an amazing experience. So now the problem is it would be amazing if we had the luxury to say we only do sit down tastings and by appointment only. If we had that luxury, we would be on a separate boat. But we're a micro winery. Our name is barely starting to be known. Being in the wine industry, it's a long-term investment. Not like you could just show up and rise and shine. No, you really have to dedicate the time and put in your work. So what's happening is we get our visitors and our walk-ins in the tasting room. We sit them down. We tell them the whole story, just like we did with you. Every table, every group that comes in, whether it's just one person or a group of 10, we try to work with everybody to the best of our ability. But then we tell them our whole story. We get so passionate. And what do we do? We, Juan and I use the word blessed because every single day to every person that I talk to, I have to really make sure that I say it. It's just natural. We are so blessed to be where we are at and to be experiencing what we are experiencing. Like Juan said, we're humble beginnings. I used to live in Bakersfield in a little trailer, moved to Napa to another little trailer. Juan did the same. And now we have our home, which we feel like, oh my God. And But then we have our business and then we have a tasty room. But then out of the tasty room, we also somehow have a small ranch in Napa Valley. So when we have our guests there, we want to tell them, Are you liking the wine? Are you enjoying it? Let me answer all the questions. Let me tell you our story. But guess what? You're not just invited to come here. You're also invited to come to our home. And then somehow 
it's just that's what we do we want everybody like oh come on come on let's come here oh let me make you food let me i mean we all do this any wait there's only three people before Giselle and Eva because they haven't been but I think everybody else has tasted my food because I'm like oh come on oh I'll bring you leftovers oh this oh that come over blah 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 because that's the nature of who we are that's what we do we just get the best of ourselves and if you if you're a returning customer and, and if you buy a bottle of wine or if you buy two cases of wine you'll still get the same service that's just who we are we invite you to be part of our family and whatever we have is yours as well you want to come out to the ranch and ride a horse, you're more than welcome to come out and yeah, ride a horse. Yeah, we'll see you over here. <laughs> um, you know, if you want to stay at the ranch, we we, all, we have a little cottage for our Gold Wine Club members who you know, buy a case of wine uh, a quarter. Whenever you're in Napa, you can stay at the cottage. It's nothing fancy. It is, you know, nice, new, and waking up and hearing the chickens and the horses. It's a, it's a pretty nice, neat experience. We also give a lot back to the community. We offer the ranch for nonprofits. People are always reaching out to, for us to rent up the ranch, to do an event. We always lend it at no cost if it's something for a nonprofit. So we always like to give back to the community. We're always giving back. We're always donating wine because we know what it's like when, you know, like I want to. It takes to... a village to succeed, right? It takes a village to put Absolutely. something. Absolutely a village to raise a family and it takes a village to keep your business going the next question that was asked is how close were you to the fires and what do you think the impact of the fires will be on the grapes for the future we were fairly close to the fires we didn't get evacuated in 2017 we were evacuated we had to take out our horses we had to take out the horses from the ranch there's not a big percentage of vineyards actually burned because they were green so the fires just burn into the, the edges of the vineyards the fires destroyed homes, destroyed forests, many, many trees, you know, many, many homes. But the effect is huge because it already affected the 2020. There's not going to be any good 2020 wines out there. I mean, there might be some good wines, but... It's going to be highly... Uh, and more than half of the grapes stayed on the vine. People did not harvest the fruit. So you... Because the uh, fires happen during harvest season, right? Harvest, during right before, harvest. During harvest. So... They were barely started. The reds. The Some reds people have brought in the whites before the fires, but a lot of whites were stayed, but a lot of the reds stayed on the vine, and you get a lot of smoke taint on the wine. So if we were to harvest those grapes, our wine would be tasting like an ashtray because the smoke, the smoke sticks to the skin of the grape, and that's what happened. So huge impact for 2020. We will rebound from this next year. It's not going to affect for like the next vintages. I mean, it affected the 2020 vintage. It affected the 2017 vintage. But other than that, that's really the only effect. And I um, think that since this was the second fire, all the vineyard managers and wine growers are going to take certain measures to avoid this. And next year, if it starts to happen, everybody's going to jump on it a lot quicker. Like I used to work for Rigushi Winery and he came out in the news. He said he had his own fire truck. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you just have to come to do your own resources and not wait for the firefighters to show up. So yeah. everybody's starting to be a little bit more prepared. And it's also going to affect the market and the cost of the wine. The wines that did make it, I mean, the price, it has to be higher because there's not a lot of wine. There won't be a lot of wine because we're missing a whole vintage. A lot of wineries 
are just skipping the vintage. So let me ask what another impact is, because obviously Napa is fully known for their wines, but Oregon is really building up their, my sister is now on, Erin, raise your hand so they can see you because you have, they haven't met you. That's my sister, Erin. So we actually visited a couple of wineries when we were in, she lives just outside of Portland in a town called Tigard. And there, she lives really close within like 15 minutes of several wineries. And I know that that area is really up and coming with different wines. Is that a competitive thing? Or are you seeing something where you guys are just embracing that as well when you're, when it's coming to Napa and I'm even like Temecula is, a, you know, they have their wine country down here in Southern California. How do you guys feel about all that? It's different appellations. It's what the soils, wine grapes vary in their taste from block to block. Now imagine a different appellation. You have hillside, you have really warm hillside. Oregon, you have the cooler temperatures with the wind breeze on the hillside. So I think it's all going to come down to appellation. And personally, it's going to be up to your palate. That's what you like. And, you know, sometimes we go into our little wine cellar. Today, I want to have an Oregon Pinot. I feel like trying an Oregon Pinot. So we open up an Oregon Pinot. Today, I want a big, big Napa Cab. I go get a Napa Cab. Or a Valle de Guadalupe. We love Valle de Guadalupe. Oh, you, we have to go. We have to go. Let's all go do a podcast, Valle. <laughs> no problem. Done. <laughs> think like, um, no, it's no, like no, asking France. Thing. France, like they're old world style wines. And it's no competition. It's at the end of the day, it's up to your palate. What do you like? Do you like the Cab Francs? Do you like 100% Cabernet? It's all about the appellation and the flavoring that you're looking for. The Malbec in Argentina, the Chilean wines. It's just what you like. So when you're saying sometimes you're in the mood for like a big wine, what does that mean? And how do you know that's how to decide? Like if you're like, I really want a big wine, what does that mean? And how do you know what to buy? So we are naive in our palate because for us, a big Cabernet says Napa Valley all over it. But that's just on our personal experience because that's what we grew up with. But a big Cabernet would be what, like Atlas um, Peak and how Mountain Stag's Lead Cabernet. You know, if you're having a nice ribeye, you know, you got to have a nice cab with it, you know. But if you're going to be having pasta like you are today, a Pinot Noir. If, if we're going to be having fish, you know, let's have a Sauvignon Blanc, a Chenin Blanc, a rosé, you know, it all just depends. That's kind of like the mood, you know. There's wines that you cannot have alone that you need to have a meal with. This Pinot that you're tasting today, you can have a meal with or you can really enjoy it alone. You know, right now we're not, we're not eating. And cheese yeah. and that's it. That complements your meal. What would define a big cab? You're like, I want something that's going to go with the steak. And you're looking at all the Cabernets. How do you know what is going to fulfill that palate to go with? First, you have to have an idea or taste of the wine before. But a big Cabernet for for us is a big, dark, bold, intense, uh, heavy tannins, lots of tannins. And even just from looking at it, you could see the depth of the grape. That's But you obviously would have to have tasted it before. So for you to go out to the the store, you know, ask for the sommelier or the wine shop and say, hey, you know, I'm going to have a nice piece of meat with you know, what wine do you recommend? You know, I'm looking for something big, heavy. Okay, that makes sense. So when people are looking, and so 
Oh, I think I need more wine. I'm not finished. Oh, this, this is a light wine. This is light, yeah. easy to drink. So when they're looking at it, when you're looking at the wine, you have it in your glass. What are the things that people should be looking? Because I feel like all of us, because even though as much as I love wine and I've learned so much and I'm continuing to learn, what are the things that people should look at? Because you know how they, when you order a bottle of wine at a restaurant, they bring you the wine, they pour you a teeny bit, you're like, okay, yeah. You know, but what are the things that we should, like, right? That how this happens to you, you're like, what am I supposed to actually be feeling or tasting or looking for to say, yeah, this is really the wine that I want? Well, we have a really good story for that. <laughs> um, so what you're looking for is that the bottle is not corked, meaning that the wine is not bad. So they give you a taste of the bottle so that you could agree that it's not corked and the wine's not bad. The story that we have on that is when I first met Miriam, I took her on a really nice date to San Francisco to the Cliff House. And we took a really nice bottle of wine. It just happened to be a Cayman Special Select because that's where our life changed. That was the beginning of my family's uh, life changing, uh, working for the family, the Cayman Vineyards, the Wagner family. Yeah, so the guy goes and he pours a drop of wine in my glass, and I'm like, can you please fill it up? You know, oh, like, that was all Mexican. He's like, uh, a little bit more, please. And I'm no, like, can you please fill um, it up? You're supposed to taste it. He's like, so, oh. <laughs> so that's our story. But what you really want to look for is that the wine is, is smelling fresh, fruit, and not corked or like wet, like a wet rag. You don't want that smell. When you get that smell, that's when you know it's a court. And that could happen easily. It could happen uh, on a hundred, two hundred, a thousand dollar bottle of wine. It could get corked. If you leave it out in the heat or it's not cellar. Or, or the cork itself. Does that mean it went bad or what does that mean? The cork didn't do its job and the wine either got vinegary or there's faulty corks and it's there's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's going to be a one-tenth of a percentage of, of the of your bottles. So when it tastes like a wet rag or that very distinct, different kind of smell to it, that's when you know it's a cork. The, the wine might be bitter or wet wood. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so Jackie and Eva are drinking their wine out of paper cups. I know. I told her she needed to just... Yesterday. Yeah, she said, does that change the taste? Like if you're drinking out of a solo cup... It or a paper cup, does that change the taste of the wine? It changes the taste, but also a lot of restaurants use thick glass. That changes the taste. You want like a thin, thin, glass. thin, thin glasses, which you are looking for, to really taste enjoy. and enjoy the wine to the fullest. Okay, so I know that there's different glass shapes for all these types of wines. We love Gabrielle Glass. Write it down and order from Gabrielle Glass. They make amazing wine glasses. Yeah, but and for the Pinot Noir would be the fat glass. The big rounded the, one. The round fat glass. Is, is, is like this? Wine. That's kind of like universal. This That's is a, kind of like for yeah. all the wines. Okay. And a fat glass. Like a oh, like Sandra. Sandra has her little, her fat yeah. glass. That's How a, do you feel about stemless wine glasses because I've heard you don't want stemless especially drinking wine because you want to keep because the the warmth of your hand changes the flavor of the wine is that true well let us tell you a little story that we have about the connection that our hand has with our brain and the wavelengths the message it sends over and I'll let Juan share yes, that with you so a lot of times you'll see people uh, grabbing uh, the glass like this or like this 
And people are like, oh, yeah, this is really a good wine. It's not a cognac or a whiskey, okay? One, you're warming up the wine. And two, when you take everybody, we can all do this together. Let's do this all together if you want. Pour yourself some wine. No, the only ones that are going to not fully understand is because they got paper cups. But. <laughs> Sorry, Jackie. But you know what? Even the paper cups, we'll even do it with the paper cups. So everybody grab your glass from here and take a, a, a drink out of your glass. Remember the taste. Remember how much wine went into your mouth. Now, whoever has the wine glasses, grab it the proper way, which is this, by the stem. Paper cups, go like this. <laughs> Paper cups, go like this, go like this. No, I'm serious. I'm serious, like this. Yeah. And now, take a sip of it. It tastes different, and it's the same wine. Okay, I know this. I, I actually said, because I felt like I drank a whole lot more holding it this way than holding it this way. Mind and hand coordination. If you're grabbing it like this, you're like, oh, let me check on this. But if you're grabbing it delicately, you're kind of like, oh, let me take a sip of this. I did taste a difference. Did you guys taste a difference? And yeah. A, one thing is you get- Jeremy, did you really taste the difference? I'm going to, I'm calling out my brother-in-law. Did you taste a difference or no? I did. Okay. <laughs> but I held it, I held it like this. Not, Wait, I can't see your hand yet. Not making it warm. Oh, they got oh, stemless. The stemless. Yeah. So if you have yeah. a stem, if you have stemless wine glasses, how do you drink your wine? You can only hold it one way. There's no other way to grab your glass. So you're gonna get drunk, Bastard. and you're not gonna really <laughs> enjoy the wine. You're not gonna get the full experience that you should. Or you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it because you're getting drunk. <laughs> yeah. but in a different way. You know, yeah, you're drunk. gonna love it. But then also, like when you're at your Thanksgiving dinner. Pour a little bit. You're only supposed to pour. Yeah, so you want to pour. This is about it's best how to much keep you want on to pour. pouring than to pour a big pour. It changes also because this way you can play with the wine. You can let the wine breathe and aerate. So whenever you're at a restaurant, you order a glass of wine, they fill up your glass. Tell them to do, bring me just half the glass. And when I'm ready for my other half, bring me my other half. And they'll do that. You'll, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it more. So, okay, speaking of when it comes to Thanksgiving, what are the best types of wines that pair well with Thanksgiving dinner? A Pinot Noir and a Cabernet. <laughs> to start off with, a rosé. A, a white, either a Chardonnay, a rosé, a with Sauvignon Blanc with your salad. With your salad, once you start with the stuffing, the turkey, a Pinot Noir is the perfect wine. And then if you want to go back into the, the heavy reds, and obviously the Cabernet. And then with your dessert, the perfect wine and the best wine will be the La Chica. <laughs> <laughs> So actually, Yvonne was reading, I swear the last two questions Yvonne has asked, she's been reading my mind. What is your opinion on like the aerator toppers? That's a good one to have. And it helps as you're pouring your wine, it's already aerating it. Um, if, you, if you buy an old or have an old wine of Cabernet, you want to decant that 20, 30 minutes before you're going to have it. So let it breathe and wake up. So what if you just open the bottle? Say, what if you don't have an aerator or you don't have a decanter? How long should, when you open up, if you know you're going to have a red, how long should you let it breathe before you pour it? A couple of hours before your dinner. Oh, a couple of hours? Okay. And then when you pour it, let's see, you want to not pour here, you want to as high as you can. Good more and then Norma is asking, how do you store it after opening for the next day? Put the cork back in there, upside down, and, and keep it in a cool place. One day, no more than one day. 
in a cool and dark place. Like, don't just leave it like on your kitchen counter where you have lights on. Yeah. Or, or stick, stick it in the fridge and then take it out of the fridge uh, 30 minutes or 45 minutes before you're going to have That's what it. I do. I put it in the fridge and I usually do it at like an hour before. So it yeah. gets cool, like back to room temperature enough. So quite, I actually, I'm super excited about this. I just got my first wine refrigerator. I'm fancy now. I'm fancy. And guess what? Between what you've sent me, between what Herencia sent me, like I have enough wine. It's It holds eight bottles and I have enough wine to fill it up. But can you put all wine in a wine refrigerator or can you only put whites in there? The wine refrigerators have two sections, one for the whites and one for the reds. With two different temperatures. You want okay, to be- It's just one little thing for eight bottles. Okay, so you want to be- it's okay if you have it at 57, 58, 60 degrees is okay as well. And if it's a small wine fridge and I have a lot of wine to store, I'm going to store my reds before I store my whites. In the fridge or in a storage place? In your wine fridge. Okay. I don't know if you guys have been to Texas. I lived there for 15 years. Room temperature, if you're in Texas, what's the ideal room temperature? Where should you, if you don't have a wine room, if you don't have a wine refrigerator, where should you put your wine? If you don't have a fridge, I always recommend a dark closet. Like under the stairs, like if you have a two-story home under the stairs, that closet that's right underneath your stairs. I was going to say, will a closet work? A, or closet that, that you don't, a closet that you don't open a lot. That there's not a lot of direct light, like even underneath your so not, bed. So not, so not your closet in your room for your clothes because you're going to be opening it every day. And sometimes you leave it open, but uh, maybe a closet in your in your house that you don't open frequently. So Laura is asking, what temperature should you have your wine fridge at if you have a dual fridge? What temperature for reds and what temperature for whites? 60 degrees on the reds and 54 degrees on the whites, 55 degrees on the whites. And Yvonne has hers at 63. Yvonne, oh. is yours a combo? Is that a, yours is just like, yours is just one little fridge. Is that okay, having it around 63? I would change it to 60 because even if it's too cold, by the time you take it out and put it on your table, it's going to be perfect. So you'd rather be cold than warm. And what happens if it's too warm? Well, it's, again, you're not getting the full taste of the wine. Um, you want it right. You want it cool, not cold, just cool. A little bit cooler than room temperature is the perfect temperature for a, for a, a red wine. Remember also on the whites, you don't want them freezing cold. You want to be able to pick up the characters on a white wine. It, when the wine is super cold, there's no defects on the wine. And then when the wine warms up a little bit, you can see if it's really, really a good wine. If you really are getting the notes of, you know, citrus or lemon uh, or fruit flavors. But when it's really cold, you lose all those characters. So... In a restaurant, sometimes if it's too cold, it hides a bad wine. Okay, I did notice this because I had a rosé from Say Soles Wine, and my refrigerator gets very, very cold. And I tried it immediately, and it was very sweet. And I'm not a big sweet wine person. But as soon as I let it get a little warmer, I liked the wine. What is your guys' favorite wine outside of your own label? We get this asked all the time. <laughs> but, I know, love the Camus, Camus wines. Yeah, so, you know, Mary's father worked for Camus, and we, we drank quite a bit of that, and we like the special select. We had some last night. 
every time we go wine tasting, we always buy wine to try everybody's wine. And I have Guadalupe. You have a Mexican one. Viñas de you know, Garza? Mexican, I have Viñas de Garza and Valle. Yeah, you guys should all look up uh, Valle de Guadalupe in Mexico. And they're making some very, very nice wines. They're calling, started to call that Valle Little Napa, actually. And if anybody wants to go to Valle, I'm only a couple hours away. We'll make a trip. No problem. We'll, fig we'll figure it out. I know Yvonne really, she's been telling me she wants to go. So I told her, just come, we'll go. But you have to bring your passport. Yeah. You have to have your passport to go. Um, amazing. And then Javier Placencia. I know that we have, um, who is it, Eva, that's in um, Chicago right now with Richard Bailey's. Well, we have Javier Placencia, Bailey's. We have Javier Placencia in Valle de Guadalupe. Amazing, amazing restaurants also. Before I forget, uh, Miriam, you said you had something you wanted to offer everybody who is part of our wine tastings. So I would love to give you the opportunity because I don't want to forget. I don't want to, I want to make sure that people know what you're offering. Obviously, you guys all know you'll get a 15% discount for orders that you, because of being part of this, you'll, you'll get a 15% discount. 15, not 50. So let me make sure I'm clarifying. But I want to make sure that she tells you what she told me she was offering. And I almost said it, but I was like, I'm going to let Miriam say it. I want to steal the thunder. So go ahead. Well, we really want to entice you to come out and visit us in Napa. And so when you come and visit our tasting room and you mentioned you were with Wine and Cheese, we will uh, do two complimentary wine tastings, your 15% wine discount. And of course, always bring you out to the ranch, which we do do it for our wine club members. But if you mention Wine and Cheese, we'll be happy to do a little carne asada or something for you guys. Yvonne was asking, are there other Latino but not Mexican decent vintners in the U.S. that you're aware of? You know, you see a lot of the Mexican because... In Half Moon Bay, there's somebody, I think they're from Honduras. And I, and I met a guy in Sedastable, he's from Colombia, and he has his own little wine thing going. I think it's like very uh, known for Mexican because we're the majority of the Latino, that which doesn't really we're mean anything. But I think, I, think, I think that when we say Mexican, I think we say Latino, uh, across the board, across the board we all have our family came to this country for the American dream at one point or the other um, or already here when this when this was you know part of Mexico or whatnot but we're all the same we we have the same culture and that's the most beautiful thing of it you know of, of the Latino culture you know we have the best food we have the Best looking, best looking people. And, <laughs> I mean, look at this. Look at everybody who's on here. <laughs> and now, we, now we're now we're making the wines. We've always made the wines because even if the brand is a high end wine, that wine was touched by a Latino. A Latino picked it. A Latino har uh, harvested it, made it into wine. Just we don't get the credit. But now, little by little, we've been blessed to have the opportunity to get the credit that we have our product on and on the bottle. For so many years, we were taught to be good workers. That's what we were taught. You need to be a good worker. You need to keep a job. And all of a sudden, the light lit on and we're like, wait, we're giving our best ideas. We give the best of ourselves. We're passionate about this. We're going to do it for ourselves and leave a legacy, right? And show that we could do it also. So that's what it's our American dream. I do have another question and it's completely kind of, it's, it's definitely related to being a small business. 
How were you guys affected or were you guys able to get like the PPP relief? Were you guys able to, how did that work for, for wineries? You know, we, we don't have the enough employees to be able to get the relief of the PPP. So we didn't qualify for that. That is crazy. Well, I'm so glad that you had this army of angels that came down to help, you know, breathe, to help breathe life into the lungs of your business. You have no idea how many angels from different backgrounds reached out to us from different angles, like literally different angles, people you would never even think of. You know what? It has to be hashtag army of angels from now on, on all of my posts. That's true. You made me think of that. Yeah. Follow us on, uh, on rama.sellers on Instagram. You can see a little bit of the post. And then uh, my son also has it on Rama Ranch Animals because we have so many animals. Oh, and he also has a merchandise on Rama Merchandise. He's my little entrepreneur, <laughs> 12 years old. He sees anybody that likes our post on, on Rama. He'll befriend them through on Rama Merchandise. And he'll be like, hey, do you want to buy a hat? Oh, if you don't like hats, I have aprons. How about a bag? Oh, a well, we're going to be doing a lot of trading once I get my merchandise. We'll have wine and cheese man and on Rama Merchandise. Yeah. Okay, actually, you, you just reminded me of the last question I had. Having this business and being in wine, how is that affecting your kids? Like, do they want to be in the wine business? Are they looking like, what is the legacy you're looking to leave for your kids and beyond? I can answer that question because I see it. At the beginning, it was hard, you know, leaving them because we had to do a wine event. But now these kids see how much we work that... <laughs> They stopped complaining. <laughs> hey, you know, we want to do this. And you guys are always working. Hey, we want to go over here. And you guys are always, not. mom has a wine tasting. Why does she have to have a wine tasting on a Saturday? That's family day. So, you know, that saying that says, if you can't beat them, join them. Now they come along. Yeah. Now they come on to the tasting room and you'll see Andresito with his, we don't even tell him to do it. He just does it on his own and he'll come out with the hats and be like, hey, you know, we, we have these hats. We have these uh, corkscrews. Uh, what we'd like to buy, it's literally like you driving from Tijuana to San Diego, but the guy's selling you stuff. Hey, and, and we, we want so hard to tell our kids, no, 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 no. But we just kind of like bite the bullet and let them be because we don't want to tie their wings, right? So we can't tell them no. And I just sometimes hope people don't think that we're telling them to do that, but they, they, they hustle. Uh, Paula, you know, she'll be wiping down. My oldest son now helps us wash the wine glasses, clean the tables. And he says, he just started going to a um, Catholic high school, which is pretty expensive. And he says, hey, if I come work Saturday and Sunday, I already did the math. If you pay me so much, I could pay my own school. Yeah. So he says, I want to do that. I want to pay my own school. Yeah. So they're starting to work. And every time we come home, they're like, all right, how much did you guys make? All right, did you guys, how much did you guys sell? Yeah. You know, so they're motivated now to hustle as well. And Paulita, my seven-year-old, she'll be, I'll be listening like on Monday, the teacher's asking, how was your weekend? What did you do? And she'll be like, oh, I went to work with my mom. And she's like, oh, what did you do? And she's like, oh, I sold hats and shirts. <laughs> and then I told my son, can you believe Paula? She told her teacher she sells hats and shirts. And he says, yeah, the teacher's probably thinking she's at the flea market. I was thinking that. I was like, the teacher's probably thinking that. Oh my gosh. That is hilarious. You know what? They're learning the value of work. They're learning the value of hard work pays off. And we're really uh, proud to be transferring that energy on to them. I just want to say thank you so much 
for sharing your story, for giving so much of your time to be here with us, to share this wonderful, beautiful wine with us. I know we all appreciate it. So I just wonder if you still have wine or even if you don't, let's raise our glass to Onrama Sellers, to Juan and Miriam. Salud. Thank you guys so much. And thank you all also for your time, for taking time on your Wednesday, on your Veterans Day off to learn about our story and to taste our wines. And hopefully you enjoy them to where you want to come visit us one day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Med Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Cheese Met on our website, thewineandcheesemetpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Cheese on Instagram and at The Wine and Cheese Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are appreciated and those positive reviews are appreciated even